Mendy here from the Triple Play Fantasy Football Show. And if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First of all, it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome, players, to the Triple Play Fantasy Football Show. We are the number one fantasy football podcast in your hearts, even if it's not in the charts. I'm your quarterback, David Mendelson. I'm here with my wide receiving divas, John Van Etten. What's good? And Eric Mendelson. I'm okay being a diva as as long as I'm not Antonio Brown. We also have our special guest this week, an avid Patriots fan, provides hot movie takes, an associate scientist, and she once gave Bill Murray the wrong directions. We welcome in Nicole. Welcome, Nicole. So I need to hear this story. You gave the Bill Murray wrong directions. Yeah, so he was in my hometown shooting for Moonrise Kingdom, and uh, he was filming at, like, this pretty remote farm. I don't know if you guys have seen the movie. It's it's beautiful. Um, and he came in and asked me for directions, and I didn't know where it was, and I said, I think it's that way. And he <laughs> left, and then afterwards, my, my friend said, wasn't that Bill Murray? I said, I think it was. That oh, sounds, my sounds like one of the two... That sounds like a two truths and a lie thing that somebody would put on their Hinge profile. Yeah, people, I mean, because it's Bill Murray, people tend to just believe it right away because he has a lot of those, like, random interactions with people. Was he, like, did he, like, was, did he seem, like, normal? Was he kind of, like, stuck up? Or, like, when he asked you, do you get the sense of kind of his personality? He was very, like, scraggly looking. Like, he definitely had a lot of facial hair, long hair at the time. So it was, like... Uh, he just seemed like a little flustered and like looking for the place. Like it wasn't like an, a long interaction. Well, that's still, I'm very jealous. <laughs> um, well in the huddle today, we have AFC East preview. We're going to look through the top rookie, the fantasy hero, fantasy zero and sleeper for every team in the AFC East. After our team previews, we have our question of the week lined up in the backfield, your top five wide receivers in the game right now. And that's stemming from the controversial uh, comments DeAndre Hopkins made this week. And then our mystery game providing press coverage. But first, let's get to our news and notes. Ready? Break. News and notes, uh, guys. There's pretty much one big piece of news and notes as my dog runs crazy right now um we have not recorded since last monday may 25th uh when we had our interview with darius guys during that day george floyd an african-american man died in powderhorn which is a neighborhood south of downtown minneapolis minnesota while floyd was handcuffed and laying face down on a city street during an arrest officer Derek chavin kept his knee on the right side of Floyd's neck for eight minutes and 47, 46 seconds. And after Floyd's death resulting from this, demonstrations and protests were peacefully began the following day on May 26th. But soon after, there's been a lot more violent protests um, and it's been spreading across the country now to over a hundred cities throughout all 50 states in America and also a little bit internationally. NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell released a statement on this on Saturday, which reads, and I quote, the NFL family is greatly saddened by the tragic events across our country. The protesters' reactions to these incidents reflect the pain, anger, and frustration that so many of us feel. Our deepest condolences go to the family of Mr. George Floyd and to those who have lost loved ones, including the families of Ms. Breonna Taylor in Louisville and Mr. Ahmad Avery, and the cousin of Tracy Walker for the Detroit Lions. As current events dramatically underscore, there remains more to do as a country and as a league. These tragedies inform the NFL's commitment and our ongoing efforts. 
There remains an urgent need for action. We recognize the power of our platform and communities as part of the fabric of American society. We embrace the responsibility that, and are committed to continuing the important work to address these systemic issues together with our players, clubs, and partners. So guys, I, I wanna start with you, Eric. Just can you, you know, we're not gonna spend the whole show on this, but I do want you to kind of give your thoughts on this and just kind of uh, how you're taking in all this information. Yeah, it's it's really hard breaking you know, video and there's nothing that you can say to excuse the officer's actions. You know, and uh, it, it's really sad that during a time um, that this country's going through pandemic, that this is kind of on top of it. Um, I, I understand why people feel the way they do. I, I'm not African-American, but this is, it seems like the same thing, different day, different name. Um, so I really hope, I really hope that the solution from this, whatever it is going forward, uh, results in, you know, less of these, um, murders, murders happening. Cause that's exactly what they are. John, what are your thoughts? Well, first, I just just want to say I'm not really interested in what Roger Goodell has to say. He he literally stopped Colin Kaepernick from uh, protesting and, and trying to address these issues years ago. So a, a little two-faced there uh, by Roger Goodell, very absurd. And then also just extremely tragic, um, everything going on. And then just as people are protesting police brutality, they, police continue to commit police brutality you know, shooting um, rubber bullets and tear gas at people just staying there, you know, knocking over people who are kneeling, protesting peacefully. Um, you know, it's really uh, disheartening, and, and, you know, we really hope that there can be some change out of this. Nicole, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I've been thinking a lot about this, and I think, um, I think John touched on a lot of the issues that I have been thinking about, but from a more personal standpoint, like there's definitely more ways in my life that I can be anti-racist. So just trying to listen a lot and like really educate myself and, and you know, buying books and learning more about history um, and donating to worthy causes, I think is, is the best thing that I can do currently. I like everything you guys all touched on. Um, we are a fantasy sports podcast, but I think it's important that we do touch on something this big in our country. And just for a second, I want to touch on this from the NFL perspective. Go back to the Ray Rice incident earlier this, dec this decade, and um, Arian Foster has actually talked about this publicly, that he tried to contact Roger Goodell during that whole, um, that whole incident with Ray Rice and saying that this is a perfect time to use their high platform to bring awareness to domestic violence and to make known it's not just football players doing it, but whether it's police officers, firefighters, lawyers, et cetera, and it's totally becoming a civil rights issue. And this is the time to use the platform that the NFL has um, to kind of go to the forefront of the situation, but not hide away from it. And one of the things that he used um, that I thought was very powerful is he said, he quoted that the NFL is reactionary and not proactive. The NFL will always uh, wait for the thing to happen and then react, but they will never proact before the uh, situation occurs. The NFL is joining in, in the bandwagon in a sense, for lack of a better term, because it's safe and they can blend right in with everyone else uh, just by saying and doing the right things. This is not the time to be, uh, reactionary. This is the time to, they need to be retroactive and they need to can either condemn the owners who believe kind of what is uh, being said out there from a lot of these, you know, whether it's racist people or people that have this backwards thinking and uh, they're calling these protesters thugs. And it's just all the thing is this, this entire civil unrest and hiding behind technology. I don't care who you are just saying that we want justice that to me, that doesn't do anything. This is, now, I know we aren't a huge platform. You know, we're 100 listens a week or so on this podcast, have two sports shows all for this brand. But when I see people just, all they really do is just, they publicly put an Instagram story or a Facebook status, um, and they think that they're a part of the change. It really, to me, makes me angry. It's like, well, if you're just going to, you know, put a tweet or an Instagram post, like, that doesn't do anything to, to change the situation. If you're going to be about it, why don't you show by your actions and not just by saying something on the internet? And if we want to progress as a society, don't remain status quo. I think Colin Kaepernick's protest, I believe, 
brought this to light in more of the sporting circles. And now with each passing inf incident since then, it's become a lot more magnified. But my question is, how much more needs to happen to change? How much more innocent black and white people need to die before we finally can, as a nation, be united regardless of skin color? And in a football sense, Roger Goodell, that starts with you and showing the world that you want to be the change and not just part of the change. David, very good points. And I'd like to point this out because you brought up the NFL. Two owners within the past five years, Bob McNair before he died and Gary Richardson before he sold the Panthers, were both uh, on public record making multiple racist comments. Um, you can do your research for what they've said, but Goodell did not force his hand to, to sell the team like uh, 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 Sterling sold the team for the Clippers. So, um, you know, good, good points. And I, I think you're right. I think there's more that you can do. Eric, I do want to add on to that because I am a Patriots fan. Um, I also think that, I mean, we all know a lot of the owners, you know, mine included, support Trump. And I think that with all of the actions that Trump is doing, of I don't want to get too political, but, um, you know, supporting, you know, force against the protesters. Like, you know, if you're supporting Trump, that's what you're supporting. And I think, you know, all of the owners really need to step up there. Again, I think we all are on the same page here. And um, again, we don't want to get too much uh, into the politics part of things. You know, we are a sports podcast. I think we all, again, are on the same page and we want to see change. And I think with this, as big as it is in our country, um, that we are hopeful that we can all kind of, we hope that this could be the last thing that is kind of the final straw that ignites the change, but time will tell. And um you know, we can only hope at this point. Um, but with that being said, we're going to move into our next topic. We are doing the AFC East preview. And yes, Tom Brady is not in the AFC East. So let's move on to the AFC East preview. Start our preview with the New York Jets. And not many fans will forget Sam Darnold's infamous I'm seeing ghost line, which came amidst another dominant display against the New England Patriots from last season. But the truth now is Sam Darnold is in somewhat of a make or break year as he's shown flashes of talent, but he needs to prove it on a consistent level. Fans were surprised when they signed uh, former Super Bowl MVP Joe Flacco, but this should hopefully provide some invaluable wisdom to Darnold, help him improve. The Jets also invested massively in terms of their offensive line, which should help Sam Darnold develop a little bit more. They did sign Rashad, or Rashad Perriman to replace Robbie Anderson, otherwise kept the same pass-catching group besides drafting Denzel Mims. And they still have Le'Veon Bell, which hopefully with a better offensive line could give them more of a threat in the backfield. So, John, give us our New York Jets analysis. Take it away. Okay, well, just to start off with their top rookie, uh, you said his name. It's it's going to be Denzel Mims. I was he hesitant uh, just because I'm not very high on Darnold, but they really don't have a lot else going on for him. Um, they have a, a running back they picked uh, late, but I mean, what is he going to go past Le'Veon Bell, even if they don't like him? But um, so Denzel Mims really just jumps into being a number three receiver, number two receiver right off the top maybe even number one if you don't really feel that confident that Prashad Perriman is actually good and he was more of just a flash in the pan. Okay, and what about our fantasy hero? I mean, I said it. I, I'm really down on the Jets. I was preparing for this, and I was just <laughs> looking at their offense, and it was one of the stinkiest offenses I've seen in a while. Uh, but, I mean, their fantasy hero is Le'Veon Bell, probably just because running backs have more value. I mean, their wide receiving core didn't change much, except maybe got worse, because uh, I don't think Prashad Perriman is really as legitimate as Robbie Anderson was. And then Jamison Crowder, not good. Josh Doxson, not good. Denzel Mims, rookie. Braxton Berrios, not good. So they, have, they have Josh Doxson and Braxton Berrios? Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. <laughs> Vincent Smith, who spells his name V-Y, and C-I-N-T. Never heard of him before, but I mean, he's not good. And, and that's sort of your top six receivers 
So I just, by virtue of that, I think the only player you might look at taking would be Le'Veon Bell, and which takes me right into our, our fantasy zero, Sam Darnold. Stay away. He, he has no good weapons. He's proven he can't social distance. He's gotten money <laughs> for it. So when we get this second wave of uh, COVID, you know, you're always going to be wary that he might catch it. And then I already roasted the wide receivers. I mean, their their starting tight end is Ryan Griffin, who um, had 300 receiving yards last season, which makes him the 32nd highest receiving uh, tight end uh, last year. So pretty much the worst if you wanted to go <laughs> one top down. So uh, Darnold is my fantasy zero. John, you must that must have been torture to, to uh, prepare for the bets. <laughs> I. As I was going through it, I, I just kept trying to find some, like the sleeper. Like I was going to say, maybe the sleeper is this Ryan Griffin fella, but um, no, he's really bad. His only saving grace was he had five whole touchdowns last year, but that was on 36 catches. He's not going to be getting, you know, 20% of his touches be catch uh, touchdowns. So, I mean, he, he is my sleeper per se, but I there's not really much going on there. Let's dispose of that uh, the trashy New York Jets for now. And uh, <laughs> let's move to the New England Patriots, who let's get one thing out of the way. The arguably the greatest quarterback of all time is now with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Not their quarterback, arguably, <laughs> Their quarterback is now Jared Stedham. Uh, the phenomenal duo of Brady and Belichick is no more, but Bill Belichick is still at the helm. There are a handful of instances we can look back to in the past without Brady under center, most notably in 2008 when Matt Castle stepped in and led them to an 11-5 and record, um, unfortunately missing the playoffs, but showing that the system can be successful. You also look at 2015 during the first four-game ban uh, when Brady was suspended for four games. They went 3-1 and one with Jimmy Garoppolo and Jacoby Brissett. So you can have that optimism that Belichick and offensive coordinator Josh McDaniels know how to build a successful offense without Tom Brady. They still have a very much successful, great defense, even though they lost a couple pieces. They have a backfield with arguably the best receiving back in the game in James White. And you can kind of go either way on Sony Michelle, but he is a workhorse for them and could be fantasy relevant this season. So, Nicole, give us everything we need to know about the New England Patriots. Sure. So I think you touched on a lot of it. Um, I'm going to I'm going to be a little bold, maybe, and say that we're going to be first in the AFC East. Um, I think, like you said, Bill Belichick is the GOAT coach. And until he gives me a reason to doubt him, I'm not going to jump ship. Um, I do have to say I am extremely sad about losing Tom Brady. He's been my quarterback since I was five years old. Uh, and that's that's been tough. But, you know, we're looking forward. You're welcome to the real <laughs> Um, so for our top rookie, I'm probably going to have to go with Devin Asiasi, who is our third-round tight end out of UCLA. Uh, we took a lot of defensive players in the draft, our first three picks above him. Um, but as you all know, we have a very thin tight end position, so I think he's going to have a chance to shine right away because he is very versatile and very athletic. Also, the Patriots traded up to get him, which they rarely ever do, so I think that shows a lot of confidence in him. Uh, and on that note of tight ends, Dalton Keene is also a possibility there, but I think Asiasi has uh, more reason to be optimistic. Okay, and who's going to be their fantasy hero? Uh, it's got to be the defense and special teams. Uh, like you said, we are coming off a year with one of the best defenses in the league, uh, almost a historic defense. Um, and Yeah, my guys, Kyle Van Noy and Jamie Collins did leave, which is also really sad, but Stefan Gilmore is the best in the league, and J.C. Jackson, a Terp, is also extremely good. Um, and Matt Slater is a Hall of Famer on special teams. So I think that, you know, we've got a really good core, and they did continue to load up on defensive players in the draft, so there's a lot of depth there. Um, I mean, yeah, people who had the Patriots defense last year know that, you know, don't overlook them. It definitely saved a couple teams. They were arguably like the MVP of uh, fantasy football for the first half last year. For sure. Um, and then what about their fantasy zero? So, okay, this is really tough. 
and this is going to hurt a lot saying this, but I think I got to go with Julian Edelman. And if Julian Edelman ever listens to this, I'm going to cry and be so, so, so <laughs> sorry. I love him, but he's getting older. He's pretty injury prone. And with an unproven quarterback with like no relationship there, it's really hard for me to, to reach for Julian Edelman. I think he'll probably fall in the draft for those reasons. So you might be able to get a better value if you're picking him later. But it's it's not something I would go for, honestly. So you're okay with taking him, but he has to be at a discounted price this year. Yeah, I think it's definitely not worth a reach. If it happens to fall to you, then go for it because it's got a good upside. But yeah. Fun fact, he's never made the Pro Bowl. <laughs> really? I didn't know that. That's interesting. Eric, we don't play for Pro Bowls. We play for Super Bowls. Oh, that's fired. She had that one ready in the chamber, ready to go. Um, and then who is the Patriots sleeper this year? So I have two. And this is going to be long because one of them I know Eric is going to argue with me on. So the first <laughs> one is Nikhil Harry, uh, who had a bad first season, but he was hurt. Um, and also, like, Brady is notorious for needing, like, a near telepathic connection with his receivers because his pre-snap reads are so complicated. So he never had a chance to develop that chemistry because Nikhil was hurt for the first, I don't know, nine weeks. Um, however, he was Stidham's roommate at a time and they're close friends and they had a great connection last preseason. So I think that there is definitely reason to be optimistic there. Before you move on to, I was just going to say, before you move on to Sony Michelle, I love, <laughs> I already know, I already know who it is. Yep. Before you move on to him, I think that's a really good point. And I also want to point out that, a lot of times he's not even getting drafted. Um, he's pretty much like free in drafts. So there's no like there's no if he doesn't work out, you can just drop him and it's not going to cost you anything. I think Nicole, I think that's a great call on uh, for Nikhil Harry. Yeah. So now moving on to Sony Michelle. Um, I talked about this a lot on Twitter with you guys, but I'll reiterate for any of our listeners who are not already following you on social media, which also you should at Trip Life Fantasy. Nice plug. Um, <laughs> he had a disappointing second year after a good, promising rookie start, but our best offensive lineman is coming back from injury, David Andrews, and Isaiah Wynn is also coming back. Last year, after Wynn came back and replaced the utterly terrible Marshall Newhouse. Uh, X-Raider X Marshall Newhouse. Horrible revolving <laughs> door lineman Marshall Newhouse. Uh, Sony's efficiency shot up, so I think that there's definitely reason to be optimistic there. Also, I know Eric wants to think that because Stidham is not as promising, they're going to stack the box. Every opposing defense is just going to stack the box. I think that the trends of the NFL are moving towards smaller, faster defenders who are kind of built to mirror the Chiefs-style offense. So I think stacking the box is not as effective as it used to be. Um, and I think the Patriots showed that when we you know, had the Super Bowl against the Rams, we committed to the run game and really beat one of the, you know, the other best team in the league. Um, and, you know, Bill Belichick likes to zig when everyone else zags. So I think that that's going to be the direction that we end up going. Eric, I'll let you go ahead and do your Sonny Michelle counter. Okay. So first of all, obviously Tom Brady left. I don't think defenses will respect Stidham like they did Brady. Brady has the ability to re to call out defenses and to know when to audible. And I think anybody even if it was a, a player that had a couple of years under his belt, I don't think defenses would respect him as much. Last year, Sonny Michelle had 12 catches for 94 yards. Certainly not a receiving back. No Philip Dorsett and Josh Gordon, so you're missing people that stretch the field. Um, last year, he had eight games with under four yards per carry. Three of the seven touchdowns came in one game, so very dependent on those short scores. He has 456 career carries. He has two carries over 30 yards, so not breakaway speed. Last year, number 10 in rushing attempts with 247, but 17th in yards with 912. And then Damian Harris got four carries last year, and I highly doubt that again, uh, barring injury. I am fading Sony Michelle. Uh, I am an Xbox guy. So I do have to say, I, you threw a lot of statistics out there, and I think there are a lot of legitimate reasons for being hesitant about Sony Michelle. I think, what did you say? There was eight games where he had under four yards per carry? Yes. Well, six of seven of the games with over four yards of carry were in the last games after, after Isaiah Wynn and uh, 
Yeah, Isaiah Wynn came back. So I think that that goes to show that it is really dependent on the offensive line. Just saying, if the Raiders cut you, um, probably not that good, Marshall Newhouse. So <laughs> I, I'm putting my Sony Michelle opinion out there. If I'm wrong, freezing cold takes come and get me. I own up to it. We'll yeah, probably put I, mean, a- I, I also like fully, I mean, there are definitely, like I said, reasons to be worried. But I think that also Sony was a pretty good receiving back in college. I think that if he's going to be successful, like we have to get back to that because obviously we have James White, who, like David said, is the best receiving back in football, I think. Um, but when, you know, when Sony's on the field, they just know that it's a run play every time. Like it's, it's so one dimensional. It's so obvious. So if we're going to want to, you know, get fancy at all and trick the defense, like Sony's really gotta, um, gotta step it up there. But I also think that goes back to my point of like, Tom Brady needs a very strong connection with his receivers. And I'm thinking maybe Stidham can develop a relationship in a different way. I love the uh, the debate between you guys. I think we probably will put a poll out there uh, and see what the listeners think about Sony Michelle based off your guys' arguments. And we'll yeah. see kind of where the listeners are are on kind of with Sony Michelle this year. Um, but we are going to move to our next team. And I'm going to switch things up and I'm going to go next. Ooh. Just, you know, got to keep the listeners guessing here. And I'm going to go talk about the Buffalo Bills, who had one of the longest playoff droughts in American sports history, who missed the postseason from 1999 to 2017. They have now made the postseason in back to back seasons. And while they made fleeting appearances in recent years, the 2019 campaign, I think, is what kind of put them on the map. They have a far from polished product in Josh Allen, but he's shown significant improvement from his rookie year and carried his team to the playoffs. They also acquired Stefan Diggs to be their true number one this offseason, have arguably the best defense in the NFL, and have a great tandem running game with the rising Devin Singletary and the bruising Zach Moss, who's expected to take the place of Frank Gore. Last year, even without a standout receiver, Allen threw for over 3,000 yards and had 20 touchdowns and had a passer rating of 85. The team enjoyed their first 10-win season this century, and they're looking to build upon the team's success in 2020. Um, So with that being said, the Bills are a very interesting team to me. Um, I like the direction. Sean McDermott's a great coach, and I I like the culture they've been building there. And and my top rookie is their third-round pick, Zach Moss. With Frank Gore no longer on the roster, the service physical between the tackles complements Devin Singletary. Moss, I expect, is to fill that role. He'll have to earn it, but he's pretty much just competing against T.J. Yeldon. Um, so I think he's going to win that job. He's 5'9", 223 pounds. And last year, Frank Gore had 179 touches and 166 carries. I would think that at the very least – that he's going to get that work that Gore had last year, but then you take away probably some of the rushing from Josh Allen and also more goal line carries probably for Zach Moss inside the, uh, in the uh, green zone, they call it, which is inside the 10. Um, I see 200 touches and a lot of goal line work for Zach Moss. So he could be someone great to snag later on in your draft. As a My fantasy hero, you spoke of him already, Josh Allen. He had the lowest completion percentage in the NFL last season, the second consecutive season. <laughs> so, I'm going to throw that out there. But for what it's worth, he improved his accuracy from 52.8 to 58.8%. So a 6% increase is promising. He did also, however, have a 26.5% completion percentage when the throws were beyond 20 yards. So he's pretty much only completing a little over a fourth of his throws when he throws it beyond 20 yards. When does he so, turn into your fantasy hero, David? Because... <laughs> so uh, yeah, you're getting to the, I'm getting to the best part. So Allen's arm strength definitely has been his trademark since he's came into the league. And I think at this point right now, defenses don't think he can throw the long ball accurately enough. But now that he has Stephon Diggs and John Brown, who rank third and seventh respectively, and touchdowns over 20 yards uh, the last two seasons. I think he's got the two right guys to do it. Last season, Diggs and Brown had third most touchdown receptions on such passes, um, and they both average an insane amount of yards per catch. 
I just this this offseason as he keeps improving, I just see as we have the floor for Josh Allen, which is that he uh, is the first quarterback or he's one of four quarterbacks in NFL history. Throw for 5,000 yards and run for 1,000 yards in his first two seasons. So that's already the floor that he has as a fantasy quarterback. If he improves on his accuracy on deep balls, then, I mean, the sky's the limit for this kid. And he's, if you want to look at his progression as a pro, he threw six interceptions in the first four weeks of last season, which culminated with that three-pick game. I know Nicole remembers against the Patriots where he just looked awful. Uh, After that game, they said – uh, that Josh Allen self-assessed and worked on kind of uh, behind the scenes. And the rest of the season, the last 12 games, he threw 17 touchdowns with three picks. So I do think that he has such a high floor that that ceiling is so astronomical. He can be a top five quarterback. This season. David, I like Josh Allen as well. And I'm surprised you didn't mention that in his two years, he has 17 rushing touchdowns. Well, I do like that. But as I referenced with Zach Moss, I do think that um, a lot of what I've been reading is they want to scale back a little bit of his rushing, not only because that it's putting a wear and tear on his body, but that I think he's going to that too soon and they want him to develop as a quarterback. Um, so I think that they're going to scale it back a little bit this year, especially now that you have Zach Moss. I think he'll get a lot more goal line work. And um, Josh Allen, I think they're trying to get more as like a last resort. I do think his rushing is an upside, but I would not count on that as as a huge part of why I'm taking him. Um, I'm looking for the floor that he's already provided with the upside he can uh, eventually get to, hopefully. David, um, I, when you said 5,000 yards, it threw me off because I thought you meant he threw for 5,000 yards in one season. I didn't realize you meant he barely threw for 5,000 yards over two seasons. That's not really brag-worthy, man. <laughs> well, I'm saying he's the only one of four in NFL history to throw for five and run for 1,000. Well, because prob- there's not a lot of quarterbacks who run for 1,000. Well, I mean, for fantasy, I mean, I'm not saying I would build my real team around him, but in fantasy, it's... But then you st- you're already talking down his rushing yards again. I don't see how he's a hero, man. I think I, I would not be shocked if he's take Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Dak Prescott, I would not be shocked to see him as the fourth or fifth ranked quarterback next season. Please, please let somebody draft him fourth or fifth. <laughs> I don't think he'll be drafted fourth or fifth, but he has that upside. Um, and then that ties into my fantasy zero, Stefan Diggs, who I think is the best route runner in the NFL. But let's be honest, Buffalo is where wide receivers go to die. Um, this is a place historically where there's not been any really good wide receivers in this uh, in this century. and just again, it's kind of comparing it to Detroit is where running backs have been kind of where they die. This is where the receivers could die. And um, again, Josh Allen, I think for fantasy is going to be a fantasy hero, but in real life, that completion percentage is a horrible stat. Stefan Diggs loves to catch balls off the deep ball, like we were talking about 17.9, 17.9 yards per catch last season. He is the de facto number one, which I'm a little concerned that he had a little bit of the split coverage since he shared the field with Adam Thielen, and that now that he's going to be getting the number one every single week with a quarterback that can't consistently get him the ball, that might hurt his value. The Buffalo Bills are also a heavy team, a run-heavy team uh, that has a great defense. They want to win with a, a running and, and defensive type of play. And Stephon Diggs hasn't necessarily shown he can stay healthy for a full season. He has a huge injury history. So I'm kind of scared of of taking him where he's currently at and for his ADP. I think he's, again, one of the top 10 most talented wide receivers. I just think it's kind of like a Sammy Watkins situation where they have a lot of talent, but that's not the place where you can maximize your talent, and I'm a little worried for where he's getting drafted. Um, and then my last, my sleeper, Austin Knox, the tight end. John Brown put it better than I could say it. He basically said – one thing that a lot of people don't know is the tight end Dawson Knox. I think it's going to be a big year for him. A lot of guys will have to watch out for him. He's going to be a breakout this year. I'm really excited for him. Last year as a rookie, Knox had 28 catches for 388 yards and two touchdowns. His 13.9 yards per reception were fifth, most among tight ends with 10 catchers or more. He does have some drop problems, um, so I do expect him to correct those. But if he gets a bigger receiving role in year two, I do see him being a secret weapon for the uh, Bills, especially in the red zone. 
has insane athleticism, and he's faster than most linebackers and defense and bigger than defensive backs. So I can kind of see him being a poor man's Evan Ingram in a sense. So um, I'm not saying I'm gonna go out of my way to draft Dawson Knox, but he does have that. Stupid thing. Any uh, pushback from the peanut gallery on that? Just I just I cannot believe the love for Josh Allen. I. The, the fantasy love is completely different than the real life love. Yeah, maybe it's just a Mendelssohn, Mendelssohn thing to love Josh Allen for fantasy because I love him as well. I think well, I'm also probably biased as a Maryland fan, but I'm higher on Stefan Diggs than you are. I mean, he's again, he's a top 10 talent. I just, I'm scared. Again, I, I don't think any receiver excels in Buffalo. That's just that's what I say. No, I agree with you. I just, I just think he's that good. I, I love Stefan Diggs, but boy, does he have Josh Allen throwing to him. If he didn't like Kirk Cousins throwing him the ball, he's not going to like Josh Allen throwing him the ball. <laughs> that is a good point. Um, Let's move to our last team for the AFC uh, East preview, and that's going to be the Miami Dolphins. With the former New England Patriot defensive coordinator Brian Flores at head coach, Patriots added a lot of players who he's familiar with. In the midst of a rebuild, Dolphins are looking in pretty good shape, having landed elite cornerback Byron Jones and adding tailback Jordan Howard in free agency. Pairing Byron Jones with Xavier Howard arguably gives Miami the top two corners um, or the top corner tandem in the NFL and added a trio of Patriots, most notably Kyle Van Noy. Um, so they have a lot of leadership and winning culture added to that defense. According to Spotrack, no team this offseason spent more money than the Dolphins, who committed more than $237 million on free agents, $100 million more than the next closest team. With Flores and a bunch of Patriots, former Patriots on the roster, Miami has a lot of veteran leadership and valuable insight um, and hopefully are looking to have a turnaround sooner rather than later. They have their quarterback of the future, quarterback to attack of Loa, whether he starts week one or they start my man Ryan Fitzmagic, who every Chiefs fan is in love with. They have a good uh, set of quarterbacks. They have an interesting wide receiver core headlined by breakout star Devontae Parker. So, Eric, give us everything we need to know about the Miami Dolphins. Okay, so for my rookie, I feel like the easy answer is Tua. And I know the Sports Illustrated article that came out that says he might actually start week one. I don't believe that. I think with the with – the, uh, I was going to say – Eric, need I remind you, you didn't think he was going to start a game this season. Yeah, I, I don't think – Barring injury to Ryan Fitzpatrick, that he starts more than three or four games. Um, backpedaling, and be, backpedaling. And that, and that would be later in the season. So my rookie is Kirk Merritt, undrafted wide receiver out of Arkansas State. I encourage you to look up his highlights. Uh, he was on You Got Mossed, obviously, on the receiving end of that. Um, and he makes multiple acrobatic catches. I think he has great football IQ. I look at some of the things. And such as catching a touchdown in the end zone and falling right after kind of the Jordy Nelson thing to avoid hits. And you look at that wide receiver depth chart after Devontae Parker. Preston Williams tore his ACL in week nine. Don't know if he'll be ready for week one. Alan Hearns had a gruesome dislocated injury, ankle injury, uh, January of 2019. Um, don't know if he'll be able to hold up the entire season. Jakeem Grant has been with the Dolphins for four years and has yet to have 300 yards in a season. So I don't think that he's a thing. Um, I This is kind of my my really deep sleeper, um, but I think that he has a really good chance to go up the depth chart. Um, We're put some respect on Albert Wilson's name. Albert Wilson, I could see maybe, maybe getting a little bit of points, but I think Kirk Merritt is the name to keep an eye on. Transitioning to my actual sleeper, David, you mentioned uh, the boy Fitzmagic. 20-plus fantasy points in the last in five out of the last six weeks. I think they do rest Tua to begin the season. Um, although they did spend a lot on defense, I don't think that this is a top-tier defense. I think they might be playing from behind a lot. And it was only two years ago that he began the season in the first three games throwing for 400-plus for yards in each game and accounting for 12 total touchdowns. I know you guys remember uh, it was when he was with the Bucks. So right now he's QB 29. So... I, I like him as a late-round pick if you don't get an early quarterback. 
Um, my my hero, I'm not as big on him and, as others, but I think you got to go Devontae Parker. You can't get cute and say someone like Breida. Devontae Parker ended the year with 100-plus yards in the last three out of five games, 10-plus targets in six out of the last eight weeks, so getting a lot of looks. And he had eight for 137 on Nicole's favorite cornerback, Stephon Gilmore, which is not— Okay, the one bad game. Leave me alone. (laughs) That's what I think it speaks to Devontae Parker's uh, fantasy outlook. I'm not as big on him as others, but I do think that he will be the hero for this team. And then my zero is Jordan Howard. I want to preface this by saying, fun fact, Jordan ha- Jordan Howard has more rushing yards than Derrick Henry. Bet you guys didn't know that. <laughs> but now, the bad part. 4.4 yards per carry last year. 10 catches for 69 yards last season, so not a receiving back as well, especially if they're playing from behind. They traded for Matt Breida. For some reason, they're still keeping Kalen Balaj, and Patrick Laird had four games with 10-plus carries. So I don't think that Jordan Howard has a, a clear um, role as a featured back. I think he might be someone that gets carries early in the season, but then is faded out as it goes on. I'm scared of that backfield, honestly. I'm, I'm liking Brita for where his ADP is, but that's the only one I would touch. Well, guys, that was some really good analysis for the AFC East and some great debates. Uh, But we are going to move to our question of the week. And, John, who are we sponsored by this week? We're sponsored by Diamondback Brewery. They're right below me, and they just reopened their patio, and they've got good beer and good pizza, and when they're fully open, they have a foosball table. So if you'd also like to listen to our sister fantasy foosball podcast, it's called uh, (laughs) Winner Foos. It's how you play the game. You know, we'll also be dropping that on Spotify shortly as well. (laughs) You 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 had me at pizza, John. You sold me. <laughs> um, so our question this week, again, we talked about it earlier. Top five wide receivers in the game right now. We're going to go five through one. And this is all stemming from uh, the DeAndre Hopkins comments where he said that he felt he was the number one wide receiver in the NFL and that people don't think so because he hasn't played with Pro Bowl caliber quarterbacks in his history. So I think it's actually a very valid point. Um, so... John, I'm going to start with you. Give us your five through one. My five through one. Okay, okay. I had it one through five. I gotta gotta flip the switch here. Now number five. Waiting. Number five is Julio. Um, I know he's getting older, and and every year I, I say I'm going to swear off of him, but I, I like Julio. He's just too tough. He's too good. Um, number four. Um, OBJ, I know he had a down year, but that's because he's in Cleveland. I really do think he's one of the better uh, wide receivers out there. Um, number three, I'll go Michael Thomas. I'd have him higher. Like he's number one fantasy wide receiver, but a lot of his plays are just so boring. He doesn't do anything. He just catches <laughs> a ton of short passes. Um, and then number two, Devontae Adams. Um I mean, enough said. And then number one, my guy, DeAndre Hopkins. You can't argue with He's got the best hands. He's got the best hands, and that's what it takes. Well, hopefully DeAndre Hopkins is listening because the love for him is real from John. <laughs> uh, Nicole, let's go to you next. So I'm actually going to put DeAndre Hopkins at five. And I say that because I think, I mean, he obviously does have the best hands, but he's also correct. Like he doesn't have like the caliber of quarterback that a lot of these other guys are playing with. And at the end of the day, like with a worse quarterback, the production is just not there to rank him number one, I think. Um, Number four, I'm going to go Julio. I have very similar reasons to John on that one, so I won't go into that. Uh, Three, I'm going to go... Devontae Adams, two, Tyreek Hill, and number one, Michael Thomas. Ooh, Tyreek Hill's a, a child I abuser. I know. I don't like him as a person. I 
would never draft him on my own fantasy football team for that reason, but he is a very good wide receiver. And you, I'm sorry, who did you say your number one was? Michael Thomas, easy. Okay. Eric? So number five, I have Mike Evans. Uh, he has 1,000-plus yards in all, in all six of his pro seasons, which is the only player to ever do that. Number four, I have Tyreek Hill. No fewer than 60 yards receiving in the 10 full games that he played, and he is a home run threat. Number three is Julio, elite size and speed, played all 16 games last year, so putting those durability concerns to rest for now. Number two, Michael Thomas, although he had 149 receptions last year to break the record, he had an unsustainable 32.5% target share. Um, so I think that's kind of what inflates his numbers. And then number one, uh, I think DeAndre Hopkins. Two hundred. In 2018, he had 115 catches with no drops. And since that became an official stat in 2006, no wide receiver has had over 110 balls caught with no drops. In 2016, he became the only wide receiver ever to have 100-yard-plus yard games with four different quarterbacks. And they were Hoyer, Ryan Mallett, TJ Yates, and Brandon Whedon. So, Studs, uh, all just, of them. Just making, the, <laughs> just making the point that he's QB-proof. I like that. And this is a cool exercise because everybody's going to have different rankings. I think it's, it's, you know, everybody says running back Christian McCaffrey and Saquon Barkley are the easy top two. Um, but with receivers, a lot more variety to it, especially not talking necessarily fantasy, but real life. And mine kind of goes right in with that. I just do want to give an honorable mention to Stefan Diggs, who I think is the best route runner in the league and Odell Beckham, who I think if he's healthy, will be back right in the top five, but Going into next season, I don't think he is at this point. Number five for me is Devontae Adams. I think he's right up there as number two uh, route runner in the NFL. Got a deep toolbox of moves he can use at the line of scrimmage. And a lot of NFL receivers will tell you they watch his tape as far as his footwork. Um, and he's got a, He's going to uh, have Jordan Love thrown in the ball next year. <laughs> next year? Ooh, hot take. Um. My second or my number four wide receiver, my boy Ricky Tyreek Hill. I'm glad John already got to do his woman beater comment, so I can go into the poll oh, no, analysis. I said he was a child abuser. I haven't said he's a woman beater yet because he's uh, both okay. guys. He's both. Dave, David, yeah, I'm actually I'm taking out Tyreek Hill and I'm subbing in Chris Godwin. <laughs> Tyreek Hill, we can agree as a, as a person might be different, but I can't think of any receiver that I would be more scared to guard as a defensive back than Tyreek Hill. Uh, you play him too far back, he'll easily just do a, a slant across the middle and outrun the coverage. And if you play him too close, he'll just run past you and catch a deep ball. He's If you actually pay attention to his route running, too, he's and he's improved dramatically from when he first uh, came into the league. So I And if you look at his jump balls, there was a play against the Chargers their first game last season. I'm sure everybody's seen it where he jumps like 20 feet in the air to grab a 50-50 a ball. He's got everything. Um, David's going to spend more time talking about Tyreek Hill than his number one answer. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> um, my number three receiver, these next three were tough for me. And I'm going to put number three at DeAndre Hopkins at this point in his career. Um, DeAndre Hopkins has the best hands in the league, but I'm not impressed with his ability to get off the line and bump and run coverage. And um, I, I do agree that he could have had better stats with a better quarterback. But he doesn't have the elite speed. He doesn't have the elite footwork. He has the elite hands, and his catch in traffic is elite. But, again, I think he's missing a lot of other key components for me to put him at number one. And not just, And you could argue with me and say he's number one, and I won't disagree with you. I, I just, If I'm looking at the full package, to me, he's not the full package. And that's why, to me, he's number three. My number two wide receiver is Michael Thomas. And, John, you kind of touched on it, Eric. You kind of touched on it both. Michael Thomas had an unsustainable target share last year. And, John, like you said, a lot of his routes are just kind of quick throws that Drew Brees would get out to him. And, and not saying Michael Thomas isn't good, but he got so many balls thrown his way. His receptions and his stats are just so inflated. I'm interested to see when they have Emmanuel Sanders there this year, how his stats go down. And, uh, again, he's top three. Could argue he's number one, but – I don't see the full package from him as well. The one receiver I do see the full package from is Julio Jones. And um, you might say his touchdowns maybe are what maybe throw you off, but the guy's a freak. And if 
Nicole, I'm sure you remember the play against the uh, Patriots a few years ago in the Super Bowl when he oh, caught that one, that one ball on the sideline. A little overshadowed by a little uh, Super Bowl MVP named Julian Edelman. <laughs> that play on the sideline, I feel, can only be caught from someone like Julio Jones. Oh, he's big I, saw, enough. I saw my life flash before my eyes because that happens to the Patriots every time. <laughs> Luckily, uh, the player you don't want to draft this year saved you. Hey, as previously stated, love the man. <laughs> but he's he's still playing at an elite level, having had at least 1,394 yards in six consecutive seasons. If he gets a lot more touchdowns, he's obviously the number one wide receiver, and he's just a freak. And he's always going to be the number one in wherever he is as long as he's, um, you know, at this point in his career. And I just I think, again, the stats may not always be there, but I think he is the best wide receiver in the NFL. But as we kind of all said before, it's, it's cool about this exercise is there's a lot of variety and it could very well be a whole different set of five next year. You know, we could have OBJ back in there. Maybe Henry Ruggs goes in there, John, right? Ooh. Cortland Sutton. No. Uh, <laughs> but there's, there's, it's just a year-to-year thing. Chris Godwin could easily be in there next year. So it's interesting exercise to kind of just – See where at that point in the year where people are ranking wide receivers. And and, and I did want to make it clear. The these are all, you know, it was five through one one A because we or one B because we know who one A is, and it's Zay Jones. Oh uh, well that being said, we're gonna move into our last segment, the game of the week. And for the game of the week. We're moving to uh, Eric, who is going to be hosting our game this week. So take it away, Eric. All right. So uh, we all have social media. So uh, we, uh, we know that uh, Twitter is a very popular thing for some athletes. Uh, for others, not as much. So I'm going to give you guys eight players. Ash, let me count. Three, four, five. Yep, eight players. And you guys are going to guess how many Twitter followers they have. And the closest one will get a point, and the one with the most points wins at the end. So the first one, Titans wide receiver Corey Davis. We are starting with you, David. 150,000. John. Oh, damn. I wasn't going to go anywhere near that, but now you got me second-guessing. 70,000. Nicole. Uh, 50,000. Nicole is the closest. He is 33,000. Damn. I was going to go 24 until David threw me off. It was 150,000. <laughs> hey, uh, Eric, are we playing prices right rules or? Just who's ever closest. Okay. You can, you can prices right if you want. The next one, former running back Anthony Dixon. His Twitter Ooh. handle, at Booby24Dixon. John, Ooh. we are starting with you. Is he related to our brother? <laughs> 12,000. Nicole. Oh, God, I have no idea. Uh, 20,000? I'll go in the middle and 15,000. Nicole is the closest again. He has 75,600. Why? How does he have more than than, uh, Corey Davis? I spent a lot of time researching these fellas. (laughs) The next one, we are going to start with Nicole, who looks like she might sweep. Darius Hayward Bay. Ooh. Ah, uh, um, 200,000. David. 76,000. John. The answer's not enough at 300,000. <laughs> David is the winner with 70, uh, with 76,000. He actually has What? How is that possible? I got it on the nose. No, no, no. It was 46,000. Uh, oh, my gosh. I almost wanted to do Zay Jones, but I saw that John followed him. So I'm like, yeah. <laughs> That's cheating. The next one, David's running back steal of the year, Tony Pollard. And we will start with you, David. Don't put those words in my I didn't say he was the steal of the year. Okay, he's the steal in your opinion. I'm going to say 23,000. Okay. John? 24,000. Fuck you, David. <laughs> and Nicole? Uh... 10,000. David, I'd be really mad if I were you because he has 25,400. <laughs> John really prices right at you. Oh, my God. <laughs> All right. I want to make it a game. That's why. The, the leaderboard right now, Nicole with two and David and John each with one. 
Next we go, Will Compton. And we start with John. I think he's going to have more than we think. I'm going to say he has 200,000 followers. Nicole. I think it's way less than that, 30,000. David. I want to say 201,000 to spite John, but I'm going to say 76,000. <laughs> All right. Well, it's a good thing you didn't spite John. Will Compton has 63,200 followers. So David is yes. now tied with Nicole at two. The next one, we go to former Redskins and Raiders quarterback Jason Campbell. And Ooh. we will start with Nicole. 300,000. David. 225,000. I think he, he was he was like playing quarterback before Twitter was a big thing. I'm gonna go with eighty thousand. Sean is the closest. Damn. He has eight thousand five hundred dollars. Jeez. <laughs> so big swing and miss. So what you're saying, Eric, is that I was really, really close on that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the score, everybody has two and we have two left. Wow. So oh man. We are going to go back to David, and it's the next one is Eli Manning, and I'll use this as a note. He created his Twitter on May 23rd. Okay, I haven't checked it recently, um, but I did see like a week ago his number, so I'm sure it's just a little higher than that. I'm going to say he's at, I shouldn't have said that because now you guys are know I'm going to be close to it. <laughs> I'm going to say he's at, Two hundred and ninety thousand. John, I'm going to say he's at five hundred thousand. And Nicole. So there is no one I hate more than Eli Manning in the NFL. So I blocked him the second I saw he made a Twitter. <laughs> um, I'm going to, you know, hate myself and say he's got eight hundred thousand. Wow, that was actually a cheating question for David. He has two hundred ninety-five thousand two hundred. All right, so the last one. Let's see if you guys can tie David, and we'll start with John. Former Chargers and Bucks receiver Vincent Jackson. 12,000. Who's following Vincent Jackson on Twitter? Nicole. Uh, 18,000. And David. 170,000. All right, well, Nicole... Ties it with David. Vincent Jackson has 44,000 followers. It means you got to do an emergency one. Should, should we do a, head, uh, a heads up real quick? Yeah, let's do a yeah. tiebreaker. Okay. Uh, John, give me a player and I'll look it up. Um, it's not Zay Jones. <laughs> <laughs> um, let's go that. Henry Ruggs. <laughs> I knew it was going to be a Raider. Of course. <laughs> Henry uh, Rogers that uh, hurt his thigh today. X, X um, Oregon great quarterback, Jeremiah Masoli. Oh, my God. Okay. Henry even has All right. And we will go David first. His, I'll, I will give you a hint. His Twitter handle is underscore underscore Ruggs. That's tough. I'm going to say 113,000. And Nicole. Uh, for all the marbles here, I'm going to say 200,000. David is the winner. Ah. Underscore, underscore Rugs has 79,100. Good game, David. 79,101. Well played, Nicole. Nicole was up 2 nothing and blew the lead, which is the equivalent of a 28-3 blown lead. Well, at least uh, we didn't blow it when it mattered. <laughs> well, that was a great, uh, great rendition of our Twitter game. And um, great AFC's preview, everybody. And, Nicole, we really appreciate you coming on. You gave a lot of great insight and uh, was a really a uh, joy to have you as part of the show today. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. And, John and Eric, anything you want to say before we go out for this week? Uh, I just got to piggyback off of you and Nicole, great guest. You already gave us a shout out and told us to follow on <laughs> social media at trip play fantasy. And uh, we'll catch you guys next week.
next week be prepared for another division preview. We should have also um, another guest coming on. And so be prepared for that. We have hopefully more players that are going to be coming on as well. We've been in contact with a few. So just keep that um, in the back burner in your mind. And until next week, this is the Triple Play crew wishing you to stay safe, stay healthy, and catch you next week. Yeah.